This is the Fathering Project podcast, Figuring It Out Together, where we tackle many challenges facing dads and father figures and explore fathering across all ages, from newborns to toddlers, school age and teenagers. We speak with experts in their fields to help you navigate solutions and positive outcomes for each stage of your fathering journey. Let's figure it out together. Hello and welcome to the Fathering Project podcast. Kathy Gapaya here and today I'm joined by our two lovely guests, the Community Father of the Year winner for 2022, Rick Pekin, and Tegan Riley, Foster Care Recruitment Officer from the Department of Communities in WA. Now, in some parts of the country, it's Foster Care Week, a celebration recognizing foster carers and the invaluable contribution they make to the lives of children, families, and young people in our communities. In today's podcast discussion, we'll learn more about the critical need for foster carers in the community, what's involved, and we'll hear from Rick and Tegan about their journey so far. Rick and Tegan, a big welcome to you both. Thanks, Caddy. Thanks for having us. It's good to be here. It's good to be connected with the Fathering Project and to be able to share with your listeners on the podcast today. Now, the commitment you both have to the children you care for and your support to the community is beyond admirable. Tegan, can you give us a little background of your role and talk to us about the current climate at the moment? Just how critical is the need for foster carers right now? Yeah, Caddy. So my role at the department is aimed to enhance the foster carer recruitment within the East Metropolitan Region through proactive and innovative strategies. Um, in relation to how critical the need for foster care is right now, it is ongoing. The ratio for children coming into care significantly outweighs the number of foster carers that have been assessed. And um, do you find um, when someone becomes a foster carer, they do it long term or it's more of a short term thing? They come in and go out. Yeah, it's it's really just a range. Like some people uh, be assessed and are approved to be foster carers and they are in it for the long haul, but then others, you know, they'll just do it um, short term um, and then some do it long, uh, long term. So it just really depends, you know. Yeah, that's um that's wonderful um that you know people come in with both thoughts in mind long term and short term. Now you're both foster carers. How long have you been carers and can you tell us a little bit about your experience so far? Rick, can we start with you please? Yeah, so I've been a carer since 2010. Um so it's a little over 12 years now that I've been a carer with my with my wife Louise. And um the experience I would say um is both rewarding and challenging. Um, we've had over 65 kids in our care in the last 12 years through various different contexts, which as Tegan mentioned, some of it was short-term, some of it was emergency placement. Uh, a few of ours are now long-term placements. So I feel like we've done the gamut of foster care and the different experiences, including respite care, which is so important. And, um, yeah, our experience has been, it's had its challenges for sure, but really rewarding and really necessary. I've, I've sometimes compared it to, um, I've had to do some running lately, which, 35 and younger I only ran when I wanted to be chased or when I was being chased but um but now I'm running to keep myself fit and healthy and that's challenging but it's rewarding um it can leave you with some sores and even sometimes with some bruises but um but the rewardness of a healthy life and a healthy community uh, is so worth the journey for sure so um I think that's a good comparison for me for foster care 
And Rick, you um, you still continue to build a relationship with a child who left your care eight years ago. So that must be really very rewarding. Yeah, in, in essence, we've become um, godparents. Um, I'm daddy, daddy Rick to this um, to this child uh, who we have a good relationship with the family. So in one sense, I have six kids, but in another sense, I have 10 kids because the four kids from that family are a part of my family as well. So we're really like extended family. Um, and this boy is a particular special part of my life, even um, with the um, the challenges we faced early on with him in life. He's growing to be such a strong and and um, quality boy who's growing so much with his family. But he's had two families that been able to look after him. Really, really three families if you include his biological family. And um, um, I hope it, it benefits him as he goes forward in his life. And um, yeah, the family is not just your nuclear family anymore. It extends to the wider community. Fantastic. Thank you, Rick. Tegan, what about you? Um, can you tell us a little bit about your experience so far? Yeah, so I've been a single foster carer for four years and I currently have one full-time placement. I would define my experience as a roller coaster. <laughs> Um, and I'm so thankful for my family and friends that ride that roller coaster with me. The my journey has my foster care journey has been about um, establishing healthy and positive relationships um, with with the birth family because I felt that by doing this it, it it takes away that stigma of foster care and it sort of becomes more about of a collaborative parenting approach. With that being said, it's not always in rainbows and unicorns. I've had some pretty dark days. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's really, really rewarding. And I love being able to have my foster boys family being welcomed into my family and vice versa. That's wonderful um, about the collaborative parenting approach that you're talking about there. It really does take a village and you've built a village around your foster kids. That's beautiful. Yeah. Now, the COVID pandemic has touched everyone's lives and has been a continued cause for concern in more ways than one. We know it's hit families hard, but has it had any particular impact on foster families? Tegan, can you so, go? Please? Yeah. Yeah. So um, it was a very challenging time for foster families, birth families, and the um, Department of Child Protection Family Support staff. When COVID first hit and lockdowns were in place, managing contact for children was really tough because that face-to-face -face contact ceased and then other alternative methods such as Skype or Zoom were established, but then there are challenges within that itself. Um, you know, parents didn't have access to smartphones, computers, and then some foster carers were not tech savvy and then the usual ongoing IT network issues. And then when the face-to-face -face contact was established again, there would be the last-minute cancellations from people who were um, contracted who contracted coronavirus, and then that caused further emotional distresses for the children. So the foster carers were then having to explain to children why they were not able to see their mum or their dad. And on an average day, managing a neurodiverse child or a trauma-affected child is, is so challenging. So when the families are forced into lockdown, it just sort of exacerbated their behaviours and then emotions. And it was just, it was a really tough time for everyone. Um, the department was supporting carers in every way they possibly could. Um, that could have been phone calls to check in. And then I know that um, iPads were also purchased one per, one per family to be able to assist with keeping the children engaged or for e-learning purposes. 
And Rick, what about you? What kind of um, experience did you have as a foster parent when or foster carer with, with COVID? How did that work for you? Well, I know for us, me and Tegan here in Western Australia, um, we weren't hit as hard as much of the rest of the country. We didn't have these long, yeah. months long lockdown, which has been an incredible gift for us here, but it still had a big impact on us. And I guess the way I'd say it is we as foster families are always kind of aware and knowing of trauma and experiencing the trauma of our foster kids, even of the great department workers like Tegan and others who are sort of dealing with the trauma every day. Before COVID, some families wouldn't have dealt with that trauma and those uncertainties and the anxieties. Now COVID's even the playing field. Now we've all sort of dealt with some type of trauma of whatever lockdown or school closures or whatever that's meant. So for foster cares, when you mix in the existing trauma of kids and caring for kids and then add another layer of COVID, it's, it's, it's real challenging. Like you're trying to create this stable environment for a kid who's grown up in an unstable environment. And now the instability and anxiety of COVID has just added that pressure. So I think it's just another added layer of pressure. For some people, it's immense and significant. And I particularly it broke my heart for the kids who probably had stable contact arrangements with biological families who lost that, who could only do it on a screen or only do it on Zoom. And many of us have experienced this in being disconnected from families if they live overseas or even interstate in Australia. Um, but now kids have had to experience that with biological families, even if they weren't sort of disconnected strongly with family. Now COVID just completely added another layer that has been really challenging in many circumstances. Yeah, as I mean, it, COVID has been challenging for everyone. But as you say, um, not being a foster carer, you're not familiar with the added exacerbated challenges that that the children face and the parents face as well. That's really, really hard. Now, as um, you know, the challenges are on one side, but being a foster carer, I imagine comes with tremendous reward as well. But it comes with the challenges, as we've discussed. What have you both found to be the most challenging part of foster caring? And Tegan, can you go first with that one, please? Yes. Yeah, so being a, a single carer is, is pretty tough. Everything is on me all of the time. Parenting duties, juggling work, facilitating contact with the birth family, attending specialist appointments, managing those difficult behaviours, um, and then a tra attending training around um those difficult behaviors as well and that's just to name a few so it, it is pretty challenging because I'm doing it on my own yeah and what about you Rick look I think as a biological parent you have most sense of control and autonomy over your kids over your lifestyle where you send them to school uh, what presents you get them where you take them where you go on holiday to all those other things with your foster kids you've got people that you need to ask for permission to do certain things from not all the time you have some autonomy to parent well but I think it's the it's one the fact that you have to acknowledge as a foster parent that then you don't have control over every part of their their life and you have influence over many things as a foster parent but the reality is they're in the care of the department and there are multiple layers that are making decisions and so for some foster families that can be real challenging uh to have this um uh, interdependence on other layers. And sometimes those layers make bad decisions. Sometimes they make great decisions. Sometimes you have a particular view of what a child needs, but the department takes a broader view that you can't see. And so those layers of kind of making decisions can be very challenging. And I think in many cases, 
the biggest challenge is sometimes the hopelessness of just the, the, the circumstances that kids come from. You sometimes look at it and you, you hear words like reunification and trying to build back families. And you look at things, and you're, gosh, there's a lot of hopelessness out there. There's a lot of families that are really stretched, that have mental health challenges, that have physical challenges, that have domestic violence challenges. And you're trying to create a stable environment for these kids, but you still see the world out there and go, gosh, it's, it's such a, a broken world in many ways. And sometimes it just feels hopeless. Um, but then the beauty of fostering a child is if you can create a stable family for them, then maybe hopefully you can break the cycle of hopelessness by creating a stable family for the kids in your care. And so sometimes you have to see the forest through the trees, but sometimes you just have to focus on your little tree and hope that that tree makes an impact on the ecosystem that it's in. That's fantastic. And it's wonderful that both of you can offer within all of that chaos uh, and problems, um, you can offer sanctuaries for the children who are in your care. That's just beautiful. Um, at the Fathering Project, we highlight the important role father figures play in the life of children. Rick, how has being a father figure in a child's life impacted the man you've become? And what key differences have you seen in the children's lives? That's a good question. Look, my uh, comparing to my wife, Louise, she's a driven person who always is looking for something to do and always is looking for a difference to make in the world. Uh, I'm pretty happy putting my feet up on the couch and watching a sporting game, whether that's an AFL game, an NFL game. I'm pretty happy just having a drive and taking it easy. And I think the impact it's made on me as a man is it's gotten me off the couch. And I know that that's kind of an easy thing to say, but I still have my days where I'm on the couch and have my kids on, on me. And I think I have a picture of about 10 kids on a couch with me watching a, a sporting event. And that's an important part of our family. But I think getting me off the couch has been really important. It would be easy. I know it sounds probably weird, even some of the people listening to just have my four biological kids and live life and, and have the, the, the benefits of that. But it's actually good for a man to be stretched outside of his comfort zone. Um, that's probably a big challenge facing many people and not just whether you're a biological dad or not, you're a father figure to someone in your life. And so for the child you mentioned earlier, who's in my life, I'm a father figure to him. Uh, hopefully for the 60 or so kids, many of them young kids, they can remember a positive male influence in their life. And also the hope that there might be other kids in, in the world or other circumstances with kids, even, you know, amazing people like Tegan who are doing it as a single mom if there's a way that I can be even just a small influencer father figure to other people, um, as the fathering project knows as well as anyone, the impacts of having that uh, can increase amazing um, opportunities for, for kids. It's not the be all end all, but, um, but for me, I think getting off the couch uh, is the analogy that I give for that. Well, it sounds like it's been a growth um, opportunity for you as a man and a father. But of course, you're a bit of a super dad as well to be, you know, playing the father role to over 50 other children in yeah. our care. That's amazing. And I, I do say in this award, which I'm getting, I, I do want to encourage people that I, in some ways I'm looked at as a super dad. But in many ways, I'm just trying to take one step forward to make a difference in people's lives that if I could win this Anybody can, because there's nothing overly special about me in terms of looking after kids or, or doing thing, any skills or things I have. Um, I'm just a guy trying to make a difference in, in the world around me. And, and sometimes it's those little steps 
um, that I think it's that one step forward to make a difference is important. So um, I it takes the compliment very well that the perception would be from people that I'm a super dad, but um, I'm actually just a dad and trying my best. And there's nothing overly special about me in, in that regard. As you mentioned, um, without realizing um, as a male in society, when you take part in things, you become de facto father figure to many children, even without realizing it. And it's really important to understand that as a father figure, you do provide children with confidence, resilience, self-worth, someone to look up to, a role model. Um, So we encourage everyone to look around them, be conscious of uh, the fact that they are a father figure without meaning to be. They, They probably are a father figure to some child. So that's really, really important. It's great to hear your perspective on that. Now, a question for the both of you. What would you say to anyone out there who is considering the journey of becoming a foster carer? Tegan? Um, often the things that we find we find the hardest turned out to be the most rewarding. And fostering doesn't have to be a life commitment. You, if you only care for a child for one day or for one weekend, you've still made a real difference in that child's life. Wow, that's beautiful. Yes, thank you. Rick? Um, I think the big thing is about getting educated because education leads to action. If you understand the need and you understand the immense opportunity to be a father figure in someone's life, um, it can lead you, motivate you in different ways. Um, If you understand parenting children from hard places also means parenting differently. Uh, It gives you an opportunity to to parent differently, to to see what... um, what you could do to make a difference in a child's life. And once you know, once you know the need, you can take action. Um, And in some cases, foster care, and it's probably very similar in my case from 2010, um, if your wife is dragging you along, there's a reason that you need to be educated. Uh, Take the challenge um, that the immense need in our world, depending on what stat, and Tegan can probably give the stat, there's 46,000 to 55,000 kids in out-of-home care in Australia. And as Tegan said at the beginning, many of those, there's not enough foster families. Uh, there's not enough respite carers. There's not enough people even just to take that little step of, of um, providing a safe home, even for a weekend for a child. Um, I think it's just being educated and hopefully leading to some type of action um, forward. And it sounds like an incredible journey and something that is rewarding, even though there are challenges involved. How would you suggest is the best way to get started? So for the best way to get started would be to attend one of the Department of Child Protection information sessions and the information for that is uh, on our website. Great, thank you. And that um, is equal in, in all states and territories in Australia. There are similar bodies that can provide that information to you, our listeners, if this is something you'd like to explore and do. It's a wonderful thing to do. And where there are not enough, um, when there are not enough foster carers, the children that have to be moved out of home are put into motels and hotels, which is not an ideal situation. So if you are able to share your home, even for a short time, as Tegan and Rick were saying, um, for a weekend, um, a week, for respite even, that would be just fantastic. It will make such a difference to, to that child's life. Rick and Tegan, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you both. It's um, an enlightening discussion, which not only highlights the continued need for foster carers in the community, but also your dedication and commitment to supporting and changing the lives of children. 
impacting their health, their happiness and well-being and making a difference in one child's life at a time. Thank you so much. Listeners, as I said before, this has been a lot, if this has been a light bulb moment for you and you want to learn more about becoming a foster carer, we've got some links up on the Fathering channel, which you can check out. Rick and Tegan, thanks again for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Fathering First podcast. If you like what you're hearing and want to give us some love, share it with your friends and leave a review on your preferred podcast app. If you're feeling extra generous, you can also donate to help us continue to change children's lives through fathering. The link is in the description. Thank you in advance. The content doesn't stop here. If you're looking for more support between episodes, check out the Fathering channel at thefatheringproject.org forward slash fathering dash channel for all your fathering resources.